People always ask, who is the opening day starter? They never ask, how is the opening day starter? Wait, actually, that's a lie, and I've got half a season of podcasts to prove it. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field, back is Spencer at the one and two, get the Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. One of my favorite traditions. Start of every season, get out my radar gun and chart every pitch and overreact to everything I see Bieber do. Nothing quite like it. Which of your opening day starts... Which of his opening day starts is your favorite? Is it the one with no fans that happened four months late? Was it the one in the snow in Detroit? Was it the one in the snow in Kansas City? Oh, uh, the De- yeah, the Detroit one. Well, that was a weird one. It, a Mickey Cabrera hits a ball in the air and it disappears. Don't know where it went. <laughs> oh, They're all weird. Apparently, it cleared the fence, but somebody had to tell Mickey that because he slid into second base. You remember that one? <laughs> I mean, last year's had Ahmed Rosario in left field and Bobby Bradley and Yu Chang on the right side of the infield. Why not? They're all weird. <laughs> I don't know. Is this one going to be weird? The lineup feels predictable. This will be another year with Bieber on the hill. We'll get to some of the opening day starters. Let's revisit history in a few minutes, but that's that's familiar. I don't know. This, does this one set itself up to be kind of odd? I don't think this so. This one you think you have it all figured out. <laughs> Ooh, what do you have to share for, with us? You got something? Some, no. Something we Not don't yet. know? No, but who knows? I just, every year he starts on opening day, it's just something odd or quirky. I mean, you won't, there won't be snow inside because there's a roof. But that's all I got. Can we rule it out completely? Maybe the roof gets stuck. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. You say it's, it's chaos. So that's not what I'm going to expect. Anything less than that will be unacceptable. I don't know. Who knows what this is going to look like with pitch clocks. And I can't wait for the first regular season strikeout that a hitter takes because they're not in the box. (laughs) Hold on a a minute. Can we just acknowledge the fact that, yes, it looks silly, but clearly they're trying to prove a point here? In terms of umpires being unforgiving this spring? Yes, yes. I mean, they were instructed not to have a grace period. And I think... The quickest way to get used to it is to just deal with it as it happens. Um, that's caused, I don't want to say outrage. I think you've seen examples of it across the league pretty much every day where you laugh and you can't believe that this is where we're at. But the the more you get, it's like with anything, you get it out of your system early and you get accustomed to it. And hopefully... Hopefully we get used to it quickly. I, I will say, like, it's not just... Everybody kept thinking, pitchers, pitchers, how is Karinchek going to do his thing and, and be ready to throw the ball? And the pitchers are, like, the people who have the least to worry about. It's the hitters who you see them get penalized for not being ready with eight seconds. You see you see guys just naturally step out and adjust things, and then they realize, oh, crap. I can't do that anymore. It's the umpires who now have so many new things on their plate that they have to keep track of constantly. And this is new for a lot of the operators too, especially in Arizona, start of the spring training schedule. Um, And in some instances, those people aren't the people who are going to be doing it in the regular season. And it might, you might have teams saying, oh, well, the Time operator in Kansas City is notorious for being quick on the draw. Like sure. things like that might take place. So it's just a huge adjustment for everybody. And I think we're seeing all of these different parties <laughs> sort of it's like like I have a nine month old who's trying to figure out how to walk. And this is like that. It's like <laughs> these people are like taking a couple steps and every day we see someone fall on their face. 
but maybe by the end of the month, my kid will be walking, and, and so will the operators and the umpires. Well, but one of one of these scenarios is far more adorable than the other one. Let's just all agree about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's going ah when another hitter takes a strikeout as he's not in the box, and and just seeing how the pitchers are looking for an advantage. You got Scherzer who takes it all the way down to the end, and they're with whatever they're doing with the running game where they don't care about the two throwovers and they think teams will just automatically not throw over, but you still could throw over if you want. You could disengage and throw over. You just better get the guy. So seeing teams work all of this out, I'm not expecting it to look perfect. It's fine. Now, will I be a little bit outraged if we're in the middle of April and there's still like this level of ridiculousness happening? I guess ask me then. But right now, I, I, we keep saying it. It's fine. You just Just let this play out trying to prove a point. It's just like the NFL. Every year they decide we're going to be all over pass interference this year. And so then they just make it a point to call everything that's pass interference, and then the next year it's something else. Every sport does this. Let's not spend too much more time on it because I can't wait to ask your thoughts, your surprise, your shock upon learning that Shane Bieber is starting yet another opening day. It's the awkwardness of the question that needs to be asked because if for some reason – He's not the opening day starter, and you didn't ask that? <laughs> Imagine trying to explain that as a, a beat reporter, yet it is going to be Shane Bieber, and Zach Meisel was on the scene to cover it. This might be too inside baseball, so if you don't care about this aspect of it, I apologize in advance, but you're leading me into this discussion, so I'll oblige. So Mandy Bellinier and Mesa... What day was that? Saturday. Bieber starting. A little less than four weeks till opening day. And we're, we're trying to figure out when is the right time to ask that question. How do you ask it properly? Because Terry Francona wants to be cautious with everything, right? So even though it's very clear Bieber is on the right schedule that will have him starting in Seattle on March 30th, and Tristan McKenzie is on schedule to start March 31st, and you go from there... <laughs> Tito doesn't want to say flat out, yeah, he's our opening. Like, things can happen, right? Weather interferes somehow, and maybe a bunch of rainouts in spring. I mean, this shouldn't happen because it doesn't rain very often out here, but I don't know. Maybe Bieber gets injured, something like that. Obviously, he's got to clarify, barring something unforeseen. But we were looking up on what date has he confirmed the opening starter Every year, all the way back to like almost like a decade ago, I think. Because I remember there was one year where he said, like, Masterson's our opening day starter. And he dropped that on us without much warning in a post-game setting on the field after a spring game. And then the next day said, Kluber's going to start game two. And the day after that, McAllister is going to start game three. And we're like, okay, I guess this is how he wants to operate. It's not so clear-cut anymore, even though we know who the starters are. Um you know, you have to be kind of delicate with it, especially since it's early in camp. So I ended up just asking, like, is it safe to say at this point that Bieber's the opening day starter? Or is it is it too early to ask you? Something like that. And he was very cautious, but confirmed, yeah, he's he's on track to be that guy. Um, so four in a row for him, which puts him in pretty rarefied air um, with, I think... Off the top of my head, I think it was him, Kluber, Feller, Gaylord Perry, and Stan Kovaleski. Mm. Do you have it in front of you? Well, I was just, he's one shy of reaching the mark of, of Kluber and Kovaleski. Mm. Do you think he gets there? <laughs> Do you think he gets there? He could be traded, he could be bad, he could be hurt. McKenzie could outpitch him and be the ace next year. Is he starting? Is Bieber starting opening day next year? Let's get it out out of the way right now. Call your shot. Are you asking me if I approach this question like it's a a bet and I'm looking for the value? I think there are enough scenarios that you just laid out to suggest he won't be. That I would go that way, but wow. but I still think he's I still think he's probably the favorite. I don't know. Maybe Corbin oh Burns my. will be. <laughs> oh, there you go. 
No, I'm going to say it right now. He's starting opening day for you next year. I'm just going to say it. That you're going to be, I don't know, there's too many variables. He's starting opening day next year, <laughs> damn it. And that's the answer. So then he's going to walk at the end of the season? <laughs> he might. <laughs> I I, my crystal ball only goes so far. If I shake it anymore, it'll tell me to ask later, and I will have no answer for you. What I really wanted to ask you, because it's, it's not surprising that he's taking the ball on opening day. Well, first of all, before I get to that, do you think it means something to the players to to say this out loud and to get, even if it's just a little bit of recognition on social media, the, tweet, the team tweeting it out, do you think it matters to the players? I personally would think that it would. Even if a player said, no, nah, it doesn't matter when I take the ball and whatever. I think you just want to go through the the ceremony here of announcing, yes, I'm the opening day starter. No one questions that. He's the unquestioned leader of the staff, leader of the, the starting pitching staff for certain. But still, I think that's why you go through this thing is just for to give the player a little bit of the joy of talking about it. It's not so much about actually breaking some big story here. Yeah, I mean, why take my word for it when I can share with you what Shane said? Quote, it's special. It's really cool. Whether they do a flyover or not, it's hard not to get emotional. Every time I look forward to it, I do get emotional. It just hits a little bit harder. It's generally a great atmosphere the first game of the year, wherever you may be. So no matter what, it's not a thing that I'll ever take for granted. And I mentioned to him... Those are the four other starters who have made four consecutive opening day starts for Cleveland. Those who have made four or more overall in team history. Feller leads the way with seven. Kovaleski, six. Kluber, five. Lemon, five. Gaylord Perry, five. CeCe Sabathia, five. And then Addie Joss, four. Willie Mitchell, who you loved, four. Charles Nagy, four. So I mentioned I mentioned the other names the 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 four consecutive at Kluber Perry Feller Kovaleski which I mean that's those are either Hall of Famers or close to it and he said you know it's just to be mentioned in the same sentence as those guys is is an honor so yeah I, I think the main point here is it's the start of the season everybody gets amped for that you know it's day one setting the tone, all that stuff. And you're the guy who gets to dictate that, right? You have the ball in your hand. You set the tempo for the year. I think there is a little, it gives you a little mojo. Yeah, and you, you avoid putting pressure on anybody else. And I just think it's it's often talked about like it's a reward for the guy that does lead the staff. Does it matter that he starts game one over game two? No, he's probably going to get the same amount of starts either way. But I think to get your name etched along with the, the the great the other greats and along with the others in franchise history, and to always be remembered for that, alongside some Hall of Famers and award winners and just other great pitchers, it has to mean something. You know, it's going to mean something for someone that has no business starting on opening day, but of course, it's still going to mean something to somebody that has done it many times before, and they're going to know what to expect in that sort of atmosphere. It's not like the playoffs, but it's not like every other regular season game either. It's it's its own animal, and you're you're a part of the team trying to establish uh, getting off on the right foot. I think it's kind of what he said. You're guaranteed. I don't want to say pressure, but just the environment that you're pitching in. Like mm-hmm. that's what you crave. And in Cleveland, we know, and and in a lot of cities, like that game two crowd is not as energetic there isn't that feeling of oh man everyone is paying attention to this pitch and we just had a big big flag on the field and everyone was lined up and introduced and that pageantry is not there so i i think it just carries more there's a better chance you're going to create a memory you're going to remember pitching opening day than hey i pitched Game two in front of 11,000 freezing fans in whatever city. Well, take it from someone that gets anxious about thinking ahead to anything, too. Give me the damn ball on game one. I want to go pitch because if I have to sit there for four games and just be in my own head thinking about my fifth, you know, the fifth game of the season, my first start, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. There's no way I want to be in that situation. Give me the damn ball and let's get this ball rolling, for lack of a better way of saying it. That, that that's I want I want to establish my season and already be in the thick of it right there off the the rip. So it's it's beyond just the ceremony of it. I think just let's get into this. Let's let me start working on whether it's little things I implemented in spring training that now it, it's real and I get to finally just go work on it. The last thing I'd want to be doing is sitting there waiting for my start a week into this. Or imagine I think the, crazy the poor guy that's the fifth starter that just gets skipped the first turn through. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I can't. I feel for that guy. That's got to be a terrible situation. The craziest part about this particular scenario is, I mean, Bieber came up in May of 2018. And if you would have told me, hey, in a season and a half, he's going to start a string of at least four consecutive opening day starts. I would have said, what? Barely knew who this kid was 10 minutes ago. So his, we've chronicled it many times, his rise to prominence and the rapidness of it is still one of the most amazing things about this team. I mean, how he went from a guy who was interesting in spring training. Remember, they wouldn't let Tito and Carl Willis go look at him because they thought they'd fall in love with him and try to get him on the roster <laughs> right. right away. They were absolutely right. They were right. <laughs> and we can make an argument of whether they should have just let that happen. Mm, just let that happen. Well, they kind of had a historically great rotation as it was. Oh, so. Yeah, well, they couldn't. They couldn't figure out a way to squeeze him onto the team. I'm sorry, your team is too good. It says too good here. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't always the case, by the way, for past opening days. So what I wanted to ask you, do you think you are up for the task of going back to 1990 in opening day starters for this team? Ooh. I feel like I've done this before on Sporkle. So I, was, I can try. I was comfortable throwing this at you. Well... It's not going to be Bieber in 22, 21, or 20, as we've laid out. I think you have a pretty good indication of who was before Shane Bieber. Kluber for five in a row. Mm-hmm. That takes us back to the first time Kluber wasn't the opening day starter prior to 2015. was in 14. The opening day starter that season was... Justin Masterson. Mm-hmm. For how many in a row? He would have done 14, 13, and 12? Correct. Now, here's your personal favorite opening day, 2011. So, my first day on the beat. Yes. You've told this story before, but share again for new listeners. On that day, he was known as Fausto Carmona. In 2012, for his three appearances, he was known as Roberto Hernandez. As detailed in this weekend's random jersey sighting. <laughs> uh, he, I, was, um, I was on the beat. I was teaming with Jordan Bastion. And it was his first day too, right? It was his first game in Cleveland, his first year on the... Cleveland beat after five years in Toronto. And it's opening day. I hadn't even graduated college yet. So I'm <laughs> I'm just there to soak it all in. Or so you thought. And Jordan had a family health scare. Turned out to be nothing, but he had to leave. <laughs> like I think it was like first or second inning. <laughs> and I remember his editor and my eventual boss there, <laughs> they were like, Wait, wait, your first day here? We're supposed to just turn things over to this kid on opening day who we don't even know? Um, And then Carmona got absolutely shelled. I think they were down like 10... I I think they were down 14 nothing, and then stormed back, and the final was like 14-10, to 10, something like that. Oh, yeah, it was a total and a full score. Yeah, and he gave up double-digit runs, I think. Just a bizarre game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was your 2011 opening day. <laughs> far, far less uh, story-filled. 2010. You remember who's made who made that start? 
How about Jake Westbrook? It is Jake Westbrook. Yes, sir. 2009. This should be easy. Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee. And then 2008. CC Sabathia. So that's three straight years that the opening day starter was traded during the season. <laughs> How many years for Sabathia in a row? Huh. I'll say eight, seven, and six. That's correct. Which takes us to 2005. The starter was not Kevin Miller. So that year, they went CeCe, Millwood, Westbrook, Ellerton, and Lee? So I'll say Millwood. I told you it was not Millwood. You did? I did. You, You were talking. It's fine. Not listening. It's cool. One more guess. I'll give you one more guess. Was it Westbrook? It was Jake Westbrook. Hmm. And then 2004, two more years of this guy. CeCe. Correct. 2002. Bartolo? Bartolo Colon. 2001. Uh, this is going to get hard. So 2001, they had Bartolo, Finley, Cece, and Burba. I'll go Chuck Finley. Incorrect. Uh, Burba? Also incorrect. Who am I forgetting? Nobody. You've already said him. Oh. Bartolo? Bartolo Cologne, 2001. Oh, I I thought thought you would do like your how many years in a row. Okay, how many years in a row for Bartolo Cologne? 2002, 2001? I think 2000 as well, no? 2000, correct. Yeah. All right, here, this one's going to get a little difficult now. 1999. Good Lord. The one and only time, yeah, one and only time he did it. So 99. Should have traded him for a guy that did make a lot of opening day starts. Jarrett Wright? Jarrett Wright. In 99? Yes. Oh, man. 1999. Which takes us to 1998 and 1997. Gives you a little bit of a hint. This man did it two times in a row. It was not the only times that he started on opening day. Oral Hershiser? Not Oral Hershiser. Charles Nagy. Charles Nagy, 98, Mm -hmm. 97. The next three years, I think, are easy. I don't think Hershiser was on the team in 98. Um, So 96, 95, 94, Dennis Martinez? Correct. 1993 and 1992, same man. That's Charles Nagy. Correct. Okay, now these are the last two, going back to 1991 and 90. I don't know. Steve Carlton? (laughs) No. Um, is there a Negro in there somewhere? <laughs> no, no. Phil, you got to go back to Candiotti in '88 and '87. Yeah, uh, Bert Blylevin in '85. I don't know. Uh, I don't know these teams. <sighs> Bud Black. Bud Mark Black Clark. is in 1990. Okay. Okay, '91. The same guy started in '89 and '91. Had a very long major league career. Swindell. Greg Swindell. Yes. All right. That, I did okay. You feel accomplished now? No. <laughs> Was this entertaining to anybody listening? Probably not. For those watching no. on YouTube, absolutely not. Just us staring <laughs> at a screen, questioning each other. But hi, this is what we do here. We just reminisce about the past, as our pal Ed likes to remind us. Whatever. It's cool. Oh, yeah, this is the Selby's Godcast, by the way. <laughs> uh, that's TJ. I'm Zach. No, wait. Flip it. Reverse it. Thanks to those who support us on Patreon. And when you do that, you get access to the ever-lively Discord where yes. you can talk about games, who's 
who's hot and who's not in spring training. Great discussions going on. Can, you can get us feedback on the show. Our buddy Milner will keep you up to date with every single <laughs> transaction happening. It's a great place. Shout out, by the way, to Patreon supporter Brian, who I met today at Guardians Camp. Mm-hmm. Very nice individual. Did you get a picture? Did get a picture. And did you tweet it out? Why? Well, I, I didn't get the picture. Oh. What's what's he doing? You got to send that back to us so we can publicize that, right? Or maybe maybe you don't want your friends to know. <laughs> this is just for me. I don't want to be sharing this with anybody else. I did want to give a quick shout out to a five star reviewer. We haven't done one of these in a while, but Trousy left us a five star review over at Apple Podcasts, where you can also listen Google, Stitcher, Spotify iHeartRadio, don't know how that happened. Pod being your favorite. And of course, go follow the, the show at YouTube where you can see us stare at each other. And apparently people like it. When I cut things out of the intro of us just staring there at nothing while the intro plays, I get messages about how mad people are. Uh, people just like seeing our handsome faces. Now, is anyone going to put that on a T-shirt and say, show's most handsome host? I don't know. But I did see an actual... <laughs> League's most handsome manager T-shirt. Now I need you. You are the detective of the show. I need some information on where that that shirt originated. That's floating around the clubhouse now. Hit the music. Oh, I don't have that ready. Come on, oh, you gotta give me more than that's three a new, seconds. I thought it's a new segment of the show. Cause I cracked this case too. So. At some point during the week, I don't remember what day of the week it is. Uh, I think it's March now, but noticed a bunch of people wearing gray t-shirts that said American League's most handsome manager with a not great photo of Terry Francona on it. Uh, You might remember, I think it was gambling.com used some sort of technology evaluation system to rank the most handsome managers and Tito I think he was fifth overall but number one in the American League and people have been wearing him out for the last two months about it so (laughs) there was a, a coaches meeting going on and Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff like bust into the room and like get call Tito out Tito's thinking like someone died or someone's injured. Like this is serious. This never happens. And he realized quickly that they didn't need anything. Goes back into the room and everyone is suddenly wearing those shirts. So that's how he <laughs> learned that those existed. Uh, he thinks Antonetti was behind the entire thing. And yeah, those of you, you, you can, if you've been around the complex, you've probably seen someone, just wearing one day in and day out. Now, you say it's a not-so-flattering picture of Tito, but does that exist? When you're the most handsome manager in the AL, aren't they all just splendid? Or conversely, aren't you just looking for the worst photo that you can find? I mean, they could have done much worse than the, the picture they put on there. So he should just be thankful that there was just his face and not anything else embarrassing. You know, he's had... I, I was talking to someone about this over the weekend and I said, you know, I keep getting asked who's in the best shape of their lives. And Tito is the name that I keep coming up with. Cause he's, he really did work hard this off season to, to get in better shape and just to make life easier on himself. And he looks good and he, he feels good, but man, he's had a rough spring. First, the tooth mishap, he lost his car keys. <laughs> And when I say lost, I don't mean like misplaced, like they're on his desk, in a drawer, under his floor mat. I mean, he sent one of the clubhouse attendants to his home in Tucson to retrieve his backup key, which the fob is already dead on that, but he can at least use the little little physical key. Uh, yeah, it's it's he's a mess. And now this, everyone's making fun of him, teasing him for his looks. It's, it's, it's a tough way to live. You say that he's having a tough spring. I say he's in midseason form. 
that dude is he is just like it's this is typical Tito. This was sad when and he spent time away from the organization you know for health reasons. You didn't get this. It was like kind of miss it. Kind of miss those those mishaps of Tito in his life. When when he's going through that, you know things are good. That's when when he's not having those things happen, that's when I'm I'm worrying. It it just you're right. I mean, it, it's it feels normal. Yes. Again, right. <laughs> and when he's feeling good enough to just sit around and make fun of himself, tell those stories. That's that's how you know when he's 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 going well. He's doing. Mm. He's feeling fine. Yeah. Well, it, it sometimes it beats sitting around trying to think up storylines that don't exist. But there are also times where you can't get the manager to shut up about a certain player. And I mean that they, there. You know how this is. Tito always seems to find a favorite in camp that he really loves, or maybe hasn't seen a lot of before. But spending some time around that player, he he just falls in love with them. And it, we were joking around before I, I hit record. Sometimes you don't know if that's a guy that actually helps you, or they want to keep away from Tito because they know he's going to fall in love with them, or you don't know if it's the next Russ Kanzler. You don't know. But in spring, it's easy to fall in love with certain players that you haven't seen a lot of before or we're off their, your radar, and I think because of that, when they even do anything remotely positive, you're like, whoa, 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 is this guy? Who has been the darling of camp so far? Has there been a darling of camp? And is it closer to, we don't want Tito to see this guy because he's Shane Bieber, or is it closer to Kanzler on this scale? Yeah, I think there are two levels to this, because I think there have been guys who have honestly parlayed a strong spring into an opening day roster spot. If you think about Tyler Naquin in 2016, if you think about Oscar Mercado in 19, if you think about Yandy Diaz, one year he did that. Um, but then there's there's the other side, which is maybe the younger players like Gabriel Arias a couple years ago, Brian Rocchio in the past when he was in minor league camp and would get called up to fill in in a game or start a shortstop for some reason and always seemed to make the most of that opportunity, even when he was 18, 19 years old. So I think I think my answers, plural, I think my answers fall into the latter category. So I'll start by saying Micah Prees, who I don't think a lot of people know who he is. I think very few people knew who he was two weeks ago. And... The sense I keep getting in, in talking to people is if he wasn't 25, he turned 25 last week. If he wasn't 25, you might know him more because he would be getting more prospect pub. But he's 25. When he was drafted, he was hurt and then missed a season for the pandemic. And by the time he debuted as a pro, he was 23 or 22. So tough to really get people to notice because especially even in this organization like they love guys who are young for their levels he's always been old for the level relatively speaking but super interesting skill set power which we've seen this spring five hits all for extra bases two homers two doubles and a triple and some speed he's a super tall guy but i think he's 34 of 39 in stolen bases in two seasons. So he's just really interesting. And, you know, I don't know what his path to the majors would be this year. He's a first base, left field, right field guy. But you think about if Josh Bell's only here one year and Pre spends this season at AAA, he has a really good season. Could he be in consideration at some point next year? Possibly. Mm. Um, so I think him, like uh, Terry Francona has mentioned him a couple times as just being really interesting and, I guess when they met for their one-on-one meetings, and and it's one-on-one, but it's there are other people in there. You know, Chris Valake is in there. Um, at the start of spring, Mike Capriz walked in. He's like, "Look, I know I'm not on your guys' radar." <laughs> and Tito stopped him. Was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I know everything about you." So, um, they've heard good things, I think, from some of the people in the organization who pay closer to closer attention, work with these kids. Uh, and if you just ignore the age, I think he he's pretty interesting. Anybody that, that could occupy the fatter side of, of a platoon always piques my interest a bit. Now, for this team, 
you might make a case that he had a, would have a better shot if he swung from the right side, just with the makeup of this group. And there's not a lot of path to everyday playing time when you've also got a Will Brennan in front of you and, you know, who knows where George Valera is going to be in a month. But even if he doesn't make the team right now, putting a strong impression, you know that they always have throughout the year guys that just, they, for whatever reason, it's the right time for them to get called up. And maybe it's even just for a very limited run. But if it's someone that Tito trusts, he might get the call. It might just having a strong spring now and having that right demonstration of what you can do. And if you're able to help in multiple areas, he might be a, a guy that's on the short list. Does it, every guy you call up doesn't have to, and I think they proved this last year, not every single prospect they call up has to be blue chip category here. It could just mm-hmm. be filling a certain need for a certain period of time. Good teams every year have just someone they call up, multiple people they call up that aren't great players. They are not trying to occupy starting spots, but they catch fire for a couple of weeks, give you exactly what you need in that time period. I felt like they did that a lot last year. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were in our heads. We're like, eh, this guy's not a Spino Williams or Bybee. He's serves no purpose but you know those spot starters those guys who can fill in in a pinch are pretty valuable in certain ways too so then then that leads me to my other answer which this is not on the big league side this is not terry francona saying this or anything but gavin williams and tanner bybee same draft class similar paths through the system i i I have not talked to them personally yet but the impression I get is that they're pretty close and there's a lot of friendly competition between them and they have been on similar schedules this spring and there have been a handful of days where they have thrown on the same day, often back to back on a backfield facing hitters and (laughs) it's not just like, oh, it's a backfield and there's like a couple coaches there and maybe one or two front office people wandered back to that backfield and there's some one random fan who is just loving hearing the ball pop in the mitt no there are like 30 front office people coaches coordinators analysts everybody wants to watch those two guys go at it and the way it was described to me is Gavin Williams is just pumping 100 miles an hour every pitch every fastball and Tanner Bybee is just pinpoint command and like it looks like they're trying to anything you can do I can do better it's it's like magic and bird in the old commercials um so it's it's fun when you think about that the fact that those two guys who aren't in big league camp who I think some things would have to fall into place for them to make their debuts this year that that's they certainly could but they're not going to be getting the call on April 22nd. But that they are commanding that much internal attention and that people are like dropping everything that they're doing to go watch them throw live batting practice. Um, I think that should get people excited. And certainly, you know, when you name those two pitchers, you immediately want to name Daniel Espino too. And I know he's hurt right now, but you just think those two guys are doing that. You know, if Espino was healthy, he'd be in that mix. That's a pretty nice foundation to have. Well, how important is it to find a, maybe it doesn't happen this year, but to find another starter that's on the level of where Bieber and McKenzie are, those are going to be the difference makers in this rotation because they have so many filler guys. And I say filler, and it sounds like a bad way of phrasing it, and it kind of is. But for this team, filler could be somebody else's fourth starter. I mean, that's just the the level of depth they have. But the question that I have that you have said many times, even though I like the level of depth they have, do they have anybody that actually means a damn in a a playoff series? That's really what's going to matter. Getting it through the regular season, you need all of those those younger prospect Mm -hmm. types that aren't quite leading a rotation, but you're capable of handing them and being your fourth, fifth, somewhere in the back end of your rotation. you got to have a lot of those guys. 
And so that means a lot in a regular season. But this team has more aspirations than trying to go win 90-plus games again this year. Who is going to make a difference if and when they get to playoff time? That, that to me, is what fascinates, at least myself, about this rotation. Not only the younger kids that they have, and, and maybe Bybee's on that path to helping them sooner than later, but Savali and Plesak, these guys are are potentially higher ceiling candidates for a rotation, you've got to prove that you're worthy of that starting spot. And it's, it's weird because there are no questions about what the rotation is going to look like to begin the year. But what it looks like at the end of the year, even having guys that I think are solid, I don't know because this organization, I think, is going to be fig- trying to ask themselves and figure out the, the answer to are any of the other prospects that we have in the minor leagues capable of being closer to the top of the rotation as opposed to middle of the rotation. I want to find somebody that's capable of kicking Cal Quantrill down to the fourth spot in a, in a playoff series, and then I think you're in real good shape. No, I agree with you, and I think there are four avenues to figuring that out. I think one, the starting point is Savali and Plesak. Can Savali be first half of 2021 Savali? Can Plesak be 2020 Savali? Or Plesak? Can, you don't want Plesak to be 2020 Savali. Uh, so that that's your first step. And, I mean, I don't know. Even if those guys are the best versions of themselves, like, is that better than Quantra? I, I don't know. But that's what you have to find out first, just the way you're situated. That's what they're going to do. Next step. Any of the guys who are ready in AAA, mm-hmm. could they emerge? Again, I'm pretty skeptical of that, especially since there's just short on experience and they're not the super hype prospects. Cantillo maybe is the most interesting of the bunch to me just because he's throwing harder now and he's always been a good command, low hit total guy. Um, but again, like that's... I'm not trusting that, especially not yet. No, no. I think right. I think the the more interesting question is what does this front office and management and just the the whole collective do if Savali and Plesac are just existing, and any of these other prospects are kicking ass at AAA? Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm only two steps through my four step plan. Oh my goodness! Because then you get to I'm on the edge of my seat. These are all the options you try out for the first few months, and. I think then you get to July, and that's when you have to survey the trade market. Ooh. And you have to say, okay. Is this step three? I'm going to make sure I track all these. Yeah, step three and four kind of go together. Uh. <laughs> um, because I think you look and you say, certainly you don't have to do one or the other. You could do both if you want. But first of all, are Bieber and McKenzie firing on all cylinders like they were last season? Is Quantrill a viable just pitcher in general can he be our number four in a playoff series can he because you also don't need you know a four-man playoff rotation everybody you hope goes six seven innings it doesn't have to be that you know if Joey Cantillo is you can't trust him you you know he's not going to throw more than 100 innings this season but he can give you three he looks dominant and he can give you three innings in a playoff start like sure go for it and maybe that's where you're at with Gavin Williams and Tanner Bybee too maybe it's like okay I don't know asking him to oppose Carlos Rodon in a playoff game and try to go six innings is that's a lot to put on his plate, but maybe he can go three or four. Like, so you have to evaluate where you're at with those guys. And, you know, maybe Espino is healthy by then. He's just destroying people at AAA, And so you put him in the majors. And again, you, he doesn't have to go eight innings every time. So you evaluate that and you figure out, do we need someone who can be like Bieber and McKenzie, who can give us innings? And and you you look at the trade market. So I, I think there are just I think there are four paths to figuring out if you have or can acquire someone who you would trust in a playoff game. But it's tough to do. And we think we have this perfectly drawn up in our heads, but like, what if McKenzie gets hurt? What if Bieber is just so-so? What if 
Quantrill's splitter is unbelievable, and he's your ace now. I, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> sure. Baseball seasons are so unpredictable. It's, it's We can go in with this idea that this is how this works, but I don't know. What if Logan T. Allen is like the second coming? You can drop the middle initial. We all know it's Logan Allen. I, I'm with you. And I don't think either of us are trying to say that we need to figure this out now. This is just establishing what we're going to be watching throughout the year. And as, as I said, seeing how they evaluate not only the minor leaguers, but the guys that are ahead of them and how they handle that order. And when do you, when do you trust a younger player to come up and get their opportunity? I don't want to say it because I might piss you off. Maybe it just works itself out anyway. And somebody's oh. hurt. Somebody is, but TJ, I've been saying that this is this is my most interesting storyline of spring training. I've been saying this since like December, because it's right now is when like Hunter Gaddis is establishing himself as the guy who will get the first call, or Pilkington, or you you know, there's that hierarchy. Yes, and I think within that hierarchy and that that list, that pecking order, there are also levels of this guy could be passed up by Williams or Bybee quickly this guy yeah. quickly like this guy probably not as quick because we need to see him and you reach a point too just on the timeline where it's like you know if Xavion Curry doesn't get the call by June and at that point Williams and Bybee have passed him in the pecking order then maybe Curry's in the bullpen like mm-hmm. there's just there's a lot of I think the hierarchy and the decision making changes over time, as the schedule unfolds, I think your decisions are influenced differently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's one thing, though, to talk about this with players that haven't reached the major leagues. It, to me, the fascinating part is what you do with the guys that are at the major league level. And it all comes back to how Savali and Plesak are doing. And maybe it's unfair that we just t- single out those two, but, I mean, every. Bieber and McKenzie are what they are, and Quantrill has proven to be an above-average, innings-eating, mid-rotation starter who has aspirations of getting more swing and miss and being more. So, to me, you know, he's established himself far more in the past couple of years, and it's not hard to make that case than Savali and Plesak. So, whether or not Plesak wants to admit it or Savali believes it, I think Savali does, given how he's talked about putting together an off-season plan to just be healthy and not hopefully have these fluky things derail his season. But come on, you you, you have a lot to prove. And there's a lot of younger players, younger pitchers that could be here soon. And and that's where my fascination is. How do they handle that if somebody's pitching their ass off and the guys in front of them in the major leagues maybe aren't bad, but they're also not in the running to go start a playoff game for you? And, And how do you handle that? You're, you're, you're always thinking about who's taking the big innings for me when it matters. Now, clearly in the back end of games, we know who is they're going to be trusting the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. And we've seen them a lot this spring. No, wait. Where are they? Where are these guys this spring? People are panicked. Why isn't Emmanuel Classe? Why hasn't he pitched like 13 times? Can you shed some light on what's going on with their reliever plan? Yeah, I mean, it's a long spring training. And... With the World Baseball Classic starting up, that opens up some innings too. So there's nothing going on. You'll see Class A, I believe, Monday, if you listen to this in time. Nick Sandlin and Eniel De Los Santos are, I think, scheduled for Wednesday. And it's just like they've been throwing bullpens and stuff in the backfields. They just haven't gotten in games yet. I think they have Class A scheduled for nine appearances this spring, which is plenty. He'll get at least one back-to-back in there. So it's just, it's kind of the first normal spring we've had in a while, I guess since 2019. So there's no reason for these guys to make 15 appearances since they can pitch every other day pretty much. So you'll see them soon. Nothing going on. Well, I mean, Sam Hentges, yeah. Cody Morris, yeah. but everybody else is fine. Well, we've talked about that. We haven't talked at all about the the other guys, really, at all, other than just to say, yeah, these guys are good and you trust them. So it's understandable why anyone would worry 
when you haven't seen them, but it's easy to lose sight of the fact. As you mentioned, it's a long spring, and how many, how many real appearances does a reliever need before they're like, we're good? I, 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 I don't know. I'm not, and I'm imagining it's, it's different for every reliever, mm-hmm. but even a starter, I mean, they're, they, they sometimes get with what five, sometimes six outings, and they're, and they're good to go now. Obviously, they're building themselves up, but isn't that, that's the biggest thing for the starting pitcher is just having enough ramp up time that you can get there and be able to throw 90 to 100 pitches by opening day for a reliever. It's just, managing how your arm is going to bounce back and being able to use a guy two times in a row, three times in a row, four times out of five or six days. And so I don't think it's just number of appearances. It's all the other stuff they have to do to get their arms in shape, but they're they're getting them in shape to to not have to go throw 45 pitches in one day, but it's to be able to throw 45 pitches over you know, three or four days as opposed to what the starter's doing. Yeah, it's not like Emmanuel Classe is throwing 80 miles an hour in these bullpen sessions. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it's different for relievers. They just they they're throwing 20 pitches. I mean, Classe is so efficient. Last season, he threw what was it, 10 pitches or less in like 44 of his 70 <laughs> some appearances. So, honestly, the, the live BPs and the bullpen sessions might be more valuable for him. He's going to get into a game and be done in especially with the pitch clock be done in like two minutes and then what did he really gain from that <laughs> yeah to just getting yourself prepared for the the rule changes might be the the biggest benefit here mm-hmm. and and for relievers i i think starters are going to adapt quickly most relievers though especially I mean, it's one thing to talk about the 24 year old kid that feels great when he hops out of bed but what about that 34 year old starter that their body creaks when they get out of bed or relief when their body creaks when they get out of bed and can barely break 89 miles per hour on the radar gun they might need the time in between pitches and uh, Kenley Jansen was taking three years in between each throw how does how do relievers that have just been so accustomed to taking so long how do they adapt to it I really don't know and it, that's, again, part of the, the early season fascination. How has nobody caught up with Raphael Betancourt to get his opinion? <laughs> because it takes so long for him to respond to a text message. <laughs> <laughs> I tee it up. You hit it up. Well, we'll be back later this week over at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Salbia's Godcast. Zach is going to be coming home for a little bit, so getting a little bit of a rest. And then once Zach is back, nice, then we'll be back into our full regular season, two times a week schedule for hopefully all the way through November. That'd be great. It's a lot of podcasts, man. Mm, You ready for it? Well... Anytime I get a chance to talk to the most handsome podcast hosts in the league, it's a good day. 